Work is the inevitable experience of the human being. We can't get away from it. And I think probably it's really helpful right at the moment to remind ourselves that when we talk about work, the Bible, certainly the early part of the Bible, didn't think about work in the same way that you and I think about work. We think about work in terms of what we do between 9 and 5, or 6 till 2, 2 till 10, 10 till 6, whatever shift pattern you work, or the things that you do between Monday and Friday, or whatever it might be. That's our tendency of leaning into the idea of work. But of course, uh, when you didn't work for other people, when you basically, you made your livelihood by engaging in the events of life, we realize that work is way, way bigger than that. So although we're looking at work, and we will inevitably, over this series, be thinking about how the message of the Bible, and the message particularly of the good news of Jesus, engages with the reality of our working lives, the way we think about work. I don't want any of us who perhaps aren't in that world of work to think that we can uh, either take the time off or sit back and observe all of those people that, who do go to work uh, and kind of just make sure that they're listening. Because <laughs> uh, this is bigger. It's much bigger than that. It's a series which doesn't allow us to disconnect our faith from real life. I think it's really important. We live in a culture, in a world which tends to think of spirituality as the thing that we separate off to do. Uh, as though we kind of engage over here in this spiritual stuff. And the message of the Bible is absolutely driving into us again and again and again that faith in Jesus is about life-changing experiences, life-changing beliefs, life-changing transitions which affect every aspect of our existence. Everything. Everything is reshaped. And we can't be reshaped unless we really engage in what the Bible says about that reshaping. So that's the purpose. So, nine to five, bringing up children, keeping the house under control. Whatever it might be, the task of going out and buying food to bring into the house is work. The task actually these days of sitting down in front of your tablet and scrolling through online shopping to bring the, suit, the groceries into the house is work. It's the, the experience of living and existing in this world. This for me is really poignant over these past probably 18 months. Many of you will know that I've, I've kind of gone on a bit of a journey. So in uh, 2003, there was uh, a life-changing period of time which pulled me out of um, my work life, my business life, and dragged me out of that and pushed me in a direction which I wasn't expecting of full-time ministry in the church. Uh, and over these past years, that has been a real... Uh, it's been my full-time job. And many of you will know in the past 18 months, that transition has gone in the other way. <laughs> so I'm now doing this on a Sunday of preaching and teaching and then spending some time effectively 
supporting the leadership team who are, who are growing and taking the church forward. And I'm back in that world of work. And I'm thankful that I'm back in that world of work in lots of ways. Because that's where our Christian faith exists, primarily. Now, I think it's really, really easy when we're in full-time Christian work to kind of think everything centers around the church. Actually, our job is to get us all ready to go into our lives and be the church in our lives. So I am so thankful that I am facing again the challenges, the conflicts, the, the issues of it feels as though there, is, there are times when the, I'm, I'm called or, or I'm demanded to do things that just don't feel comfortable. They come into collision with my faith. That is great for us to, to test our faith in that real experience. So this is not a theoretical explanation. This is driven by the fact that I'm going through it kind of with you. I think there are two things that I really want to just point out as we start off. The first is that we have a cultural desire to free ourselves from work. It's a really interesting experience, isn't it? We drive, we push, we focus all of our, our, our energy in achieving mostly in our working life two things. One, the ability to create leisure time for ourselves. That's one goal. Or the other goal which we create for ourselves is the desire to not work anymore so that I can retire. I, do you know what? I want to just right off the bat, I want to ask the question, is that how the Bible thinks about work? Is that our goal? Is that our objective to be liberated from work? What we are today, you, you know, you might think I'm, I'm kind of railing against the, the leisure industry and the fact that I don't know what percentage of us actually would really now, we would, we would just love to be in front of our PlayStation whatever the current game is. That is actually our object. I am not. This has been the human experience throughout time. Back in the world which the Bible grew up in, the idea of the God of the Bible was in conflict with the wider ideas of the gods. And the ancient Greeks and then the Romans and the kind of that classical period and the ages of mankind had an idea about what the gods were like and, and there, were, there was a golden age in the myths and in the myths mythological explanation of our existence. And the mythological explanation went something in broad brush like this that there was a golden age when the gods existed alongside humanity. I'm so glad I've just been on holiday and I've just finished the book, 
Mythos by Stephen Fry. Absolutely brilliant. The retelling of classical mythology. Fantastic. So I kind of read this somewhere else and I thought, I actually, I kind of know a little bit about this. But the way it's described is like this. When hum human beings and the gods were in existence, it was great and it was perfect because the gods and humans didn't work really. The gods never worked. They spent their time feasting and in erotic activity. That was the objective. That was the goal of a kind of idealized living. To not work. To free ourselves. To liberate ourselves from work was the way the ancient Greeks and Romans saw the objective. And actually... We are cursed with this demand to work. So that's the one thing that I think our culture today is really like that. It's, it, there is nothing new in history. We just repeat the same thing again and again and again and again with a different set of clothes on. The Greeks wanted to lie back, be fed grapes and drink wine... And we want to crash out with a pizza and a PlayStation. There is not much difference. Well, there's huge difference. But the experience is the same. Free me and liberate me from these demands. Let me be center. Secondly, spirituality, I think, always has and continues to have the idea of separating us from our day-to-day -day living. Separating us from work. That work stuff is the horrible thing which we have to do. But it's possible maybe that we can reach a point of released enlightenment where we can be somewhere else instead of constrained by this work stuff. They are massive issues. And that's why I think this series is really on the money for us to be looking at in terms of looking at our faith day to day. So that's the goal. That's where we're headed. I want to ask a question this afternoon. Is work good? That's the starting point. Is work good? Because what I've probably just introduced is that much of our thinking would say, no. Work isn't good. Well, it isn't good, is it? But that's next week. There's reasons why it isn't, but, but let's ask the question, in principle, is work good? You see, the interesting thing is, for all that we desire, that kicked back, relaxed experience, we know that, that if that is all that we have, there is a desperate sense of emptiness. It doesn't satisfy. Oh, it's great for a time. But you ask anybody who's been deprived of the ability to engage in meaningful existence on a day-to-day -day basis, and you will know if you get behind the veneer that there is really no satisfaction in it. Idleness is not good. So, in asking that question, is work good, let's 
let's take ourselves all the way back and a little bit of a hint here the early chapters the first 11 chapters of Genesis the way the Bible portrays our existence and our being is absolutely crucial in our understanding of who we are it's kind of like the foundation everything builds on that and we're going to spend some time on that journey so the first thing is um, we see in three steps humanity in meaningful existence the chapter that we read a little earlier builds on it's actually a, a follow-on from the first chapter of Genesis and the, the first chapter of Genesis concludes with the creation of, of man and woman and then it goes on to say in verse 28 God blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground that was what went before what we read I'm going to spend a little bit more time in what we read but the first thing that we see is that the foundation of our existence is in a God who works absolutely key we we have the Bible thrown out in front of us start at the beginning and the first thing that you see about the nature of the God who we worship is he is a God who works the whole of chapter 1 is about him doing and him doing and him doing the foundation is that God works he blessed them and then he says be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it this thing that I have created and you who I have created I lay this out in front of you and he basically says I hand over to you in one sense my handiwork it's what I have done it's what I've created now that might not seem a big thing to us but when we think about the idea of the gods of the ancient world who spent their time feasting and cavorting the idea, the idea of a God who is intentionally committed to work is groundbreaking groundbreaking God has created and then he says this beautiful thing this foundation that I've built that is mine is now your responsibility do you see the connection that God makes in verse in uh, the last verse it says fill the earth subdue it rule over the fish in the seas and the birds in the air and the sky uh, birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground subdue and rule now our language isn't really helpful there because the relationship that we have with God in the early part of Genesis is that we are subjugated to God and he rules over us <laughs> but but he does it with remarkable relational love and care and a desire to see human beings flourish and then he says what I do for you you do for all of this we have not done a very good job have we do you see the connection here 
to our concerns now about the ecology, the planet that we live on. Uh, this, is, this is a crisis. You know, we are living in crisis times. There are some people who say that it's already too late. There's some people who say this is just the natural pattern. Even if it is the natural pattern, the natural pattern is not that we should create islands of plastic in the sea. It's not the natural pattern. God says, this which I have given, which I have created, is now yours to care for, so that as I see you flourish, you are to see it flourish. There's a task there, isn't there? There's a work to do. So that's the first thing that we see. The foundation of our understanding of our existence comes from our understanding of God, who is a God who works. The section that we read, there is a beautiful description. Let me read it to you in uh, verse uh, 6. Verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. That is astounding. The way the Bible has chosen to describe our existence it's like this. Everything else, everything that has gone before, God describes it coming into being by Him speaking. And now He comes to humanity and He breathes into humanity. There's a beautiful moment. I wish I, I, wish I could understand, I wish I could remember the scientific description for it. Somebody will probably tell me later on, I hope. There's a beautiful moment where the cells that have been formed with the fertilization of a, an egg within a woman, which attaches to the womb, there is a beautiful moment, it's, it's, a, it's an instant, where the wall between the cells and the woman breaks and the lifeblood of the mother flows into that being. I think that, I mean, what an amazing, wonderful, incredible world we live in, that that happens. But I think there is something remarkably powerful about that, where there is the life of the mother flowing into the life that is to be, and I think there are flavors of that in these verses, where there is something of God that breathes into our existence, where we become something which is intrinsically related to the breath that we have received. The breath that has, that has driven into us by the God who has made us, shapes us. We would say it is written into our DNA. Therefore, that we are like God. And so the God who works is the God who made us and the God who calls us to the venture of work. The second thing that we see, the God who works becomes the God who commissions man to work. I'm going to say man first. Look at verse 5. 
The way the Bible describes it, verse 5, no, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had sprung up for the Lord had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. There was something which was not, the way the Bible describes it, it's kind of like, this is beautiful, this is amazing, but it's not quite, it's ready to burst out, but it's not quite ready. There's something more that is needed. But what, how is it described? Look at the words that are used. The reason that it's not flourishing is because there was no one to work the ground. You see that? Right at the very beginning, God is saying, for this, for this created order to flourish, demands our intervention. There's no one, there's no one to, to grow it properly, to tend it, to care for it, to nurture it. There's no workers. There's just no workers. We can't move forward. Have you ever been involved in starting a business? There's plenty of times when you're looking round and you say, there's this to do, there's this to do, there's this to do, and this to do, and this to do. We haven't got anybody to do it. Where's the workers? Where are people to come to partake in this venture, to share in this moment. I think that's kind of what God is describing in these words. He's saying, this is beautiful and ready to flourish. The venture is brilliant. The plan is beautiful. But it cannot move forward without intervention. And then, what do we see in verse 15? having created the man the way that we see it described. In verse 15, we then see the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. See that? See the connection? God is saying this can be beautiful, but it can't be beautiful without the workers. But it can be beautiful when I put the workers in place. That's your job. That's what you're to do. The incredible thing that we see in this moment, it seems to me as though there is a willingness, or in fact there is a desire from God to describe creation in such a way that it is incomplete. It is incomplete without the intervention of His created beings, yes, but without the intervention of humanity. Humanity has got to be there to work. What is God doing there? He's inviting. He's inviting humanity to be part of His task. To be part of His world of work. Be part of His job. This is my creation. I want you to come and join it, to be part of it, to see it flourish. So it's almost as though God places it there, but it's got to be better. It's got to be tended. And now what do we see? God then recognizes the incompleteness of man. 
In fact, I would go so far as to say the inability of man by himself. He is useless. He needs an equal. Look at verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. That's a job. Some people spend their lives cataloging some strange esoteric butterfly that they've just found in South America. It's got to have a name. We still do it. We still do the job that Adam was first called to do. That's a task, but, but it's not complete. And he can't do any more. Why? Because no suitable helper was found. Adam needed a helper. He couldn't do it alone. It was impossible. He needed somebody to come alongside. Oh man, we have got, the church has got so bent out of shape and twisted and distorted in the way that it has used this. Oh, down through the centuries. I think it says quite simply this. Either you or me male or female, by ourselves, we are inadequate. We are unable to do the task. We need both. Now let me just, I wasn't going to cover this, but I'm going to mention it. What we've done since then, is we've, and there's a reason, and we'll see it next week, we've created some hierarchical structure where we see we, where we've said for centuries we need mo one more the other and we've twisted the word helper to not be an alongside but to be a submissive that's what's happened we'll see why next week what we haven't done is we haven't pursued the goal of equal oneness in the task and that's what God prepares Adam for. He says, you need, and therefore, he creates. Two things. How con this is a perfect world. This is a beautiful world. This is a world of order. Once Adam and Eve are there to subdue the world and to prepare it, that's how the Bible is describing it. It's a world of beauty, but how different is this perfect world to our desire to rid ourselves of work? Work is there when it's perfect. Work is there to satisfy, to give a sense of joyful endeavor, to give a sense of meaning and worth, to do something to create something, to make something, to develop something, to nurture something, to grow something, to create something, to explore something, to invent something. The potential is massive. You know, can you imagine being at the beginning and those first, and Tim Berners-Lee and all of those guys who, who began the internet and they're kind of thinking, oh, things that we could do, the things that we could create, all of the opportunity. That is diddly squat 
compared to the potential of the world at the beginning where everything could be invented. What a joyful experience, the possibility to create like that. It is also contrary to any spiritual idea that God is not interested in work. You say, well, that's great. There's a foundation. Is that where it ends in terms of the engagement with God and work? There are two critical moments in the Bible. One, well, actually, three really. There is the relationship that we have with God as we've just described here. Then there's a crisis and we have the re-establishing of the relationship of God back in the Old Testament. And then we have this incredible moment where Jesus, the Son of God, breaks into the world. What does He have to say about work? Is it all, okay, well that's stuff back there, that's, that's just stuff. Now I'm here to do the spiritual stuff. Let me read you a verse from John chapter 5 and verse 16. It's following on from a moment where Jesus has engaged with somebody. He's healed somebody. And he's done it on on the Sabbath, the day when you are not to work. And the, the religious leaders get so bent out of shape. Listen to what happens in John chapter 5 and verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things over the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Who do you think you are? We have rules. God has told us not to work on the Sabbath. And here you come along, you're doing stuff on the Sabbath. How does Jesus respond to them? One sentence... He captures an amazing perspective on what His Father in heaven is doing and what He is doing. He says this, My Father is always at His work to this very day. That was the Sabbath. (laughs) My Father is working on the Sabbath is basically what He's saying. But He's connecting their understanding of the God who created the world and their understanding, therefore, that God who created the world laid back and, and let it all kind of carry on with humanity. And Jesus says, My Father has been working since back then. And He's continuing to work even to today. He's busy while you're celebrating the Sabbath. And, alongside this, I too am working. Jesus came into the world. He broke in and He revealed the God who we worship in the Old Testament. He describes the God that we don't know in the Old Testament. He says, the God who you worship, do you want to know who it is? Do you want to understand the God that you didn't know? I am the God that you didn't know. I and my Father are one. The God who is working right up to this day, I'm working too. In fact, we're about the same business. They say, well, Jesus did holy stuff, didn't he? (laughs) Let me give you a hint. Let me prepare you for the journey of the kind of work that Jesus did. 
He healed people. He, inter he intervened in physical care for individuals. He went about relieving suffering. He went about preparing food. He went about providing food. He went about creating the facilities at a wedding for joyful celebration. Jesus was not some kind of detached, holy spiritual being disconnected from the reality of the world that the people were living in. He recognized that he was coming into a world which was hard and difficult and he intervened and relieved suffering, both spiritual and physical. That's what Jesus did. He relieved spiritual and physical suffering. Now, if, G if God invited His creation at the very beginning to participate in the care of this world, what did Jesus do? Did He not invite His disciples to participate in the work that He was doing? The relief of physical and spiritual suffering. And for us today, He invites us on the journey of the relief of physical and spiritual suffering. We could give that another word or another description. Jesus invites us in the reality of our day-to-day -day lives to redeem the world to be the way that it ought to be, not the way that it is. That's our task. We are redeemers. That's what this Christian faith is. If you look at it from the outside, it is not this thing that we separate from. Although, I'll be honest, we get it so wrong so often and we look like we separate. Forgive us for the times when we separate because we are to be redeeming workers and joyful in that task. That is kind of the introduction to the gospel and work. And I pray that it will be an exciting journey for us to go on.